This is the last message as we preach through the book of John. I think I mentioned it already, but it has been such a joy to preach through the book of John. Certainly, hands down, one of my favorite books in the Bible. We've seen a lot of great truths the last uh, number of months. I don't remember exactly the day, the date when we started uh, preaching through the book of John, but it is a joy to preach expositorily just through the Scripture and seeing what God has for us. And I believe that in this one verse that we're going to be looking at here this morning, that God has some very helpful things and trust that you will be helped by the things that will be mentioned here in the church service this morning. John chapter number 21, and look with me, verse number 25, the very last verse of the book of John, where John says this, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. I'm reminded of what John said previously. He said, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. John had a purpose in writing the gospel. He had a purpose, and that purpose was to manifest Jesus Christ so that we could see Him for who He is, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. John mentions things that many of the other uh, many of the other authors of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, did not mention. John says, you must be born again. John refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Good Shepherd, the Bread of Life, and so many wonderful, wonderful things about the Lord Jesus Christ. But when he gets down to the last thing that he's writing, he says that if all these other things that Jesus did... and it appears to me that he's talking about what Jesus did while he was on this earth for 33 and a half years. If they were to be written, John said, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. I think the key word there is suppose. John is conveying his thoughts and his feelings on the subject of all that Jesus did. I asked the men in prayer meeting last night, and I wasn't even really thinking about this message when I asked the question. When I asked the men, I said, what does Jesus mean to you? I think that if you were to ask John that question, John would have a certain feeling in trying to process and be able to answer that question. Don't you think that for a born-again believer... To be asked that question, what does Jesus mean to you? For that very same believer to have to kind of think for a minute after being put on the spot, uh, what, uh, like trying to come up with something to say, almost like at test time when the teacher asks you a question, is, oh, what, what's the right answer? And sometimes when a religious question is asked to us, we're thinking, what's the right answer, because I want to get it right. But a lot of times God asks us questions because He wants us to communicate how we really feel. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. When John contemplated all that Jesus had done, he was overwhelmed. I think if I were to ask John that question, John, what does Jesus mean to you? 
that disciple whom Jesus loved, that disciple who laid upon his breast there at the Lord's Supper, that disciple who was faithful and had the confidence that when all the other disciples were saying, Lord, is it I, when Jesus prophesied that someone was going to betray him, John was the one that said, Lord, who is it? John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, characterized by love. In fact, all of John's writings, you see that common thread all throughout the writings. You read his epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and you see the love of God. He said, we love Him because He first loved us. Here's a man that understood the love of God. If you were to ask him, John, what does Jesus mean to you? I believe that he wouldn't have had to try to figure out, oh, what should I say or what can I say? He would have been overwhelmed by what should I say first because there are so many things that I would like to say about my Savior, Jesus Christ. John was overwhelmed with this subject. To be overwhelmed means to be immersed, to something to be bearing down on us, to be crushed beneath something. I remember the missions trip years ago when we went to Trinidad. The last day of that trip, we, Brother James drove us over the mountain and we went down to the coast and we ate shark sandwiches and we went out and we waited out there and we had the wakeboard and we would ride some waves there in this beautiful Caribbean kind of cove as the waves would come in and boy, there was some really, really Nice waves that we would ride that wakeboard on. And we were out there just fellowshipping and having fun and waiting for just the right timing. And boy, we were having a good time. And, you know, we were looking at the, the clock and the time. And it's like, well, I, we got time for one more. And we noticed that the waves were getting just a little bit bigger and a little bit better. And so it's like, well, let me wait for, let me wait for a really good wave. That's exactly what I did. And I saw that wave coming and I thought, oh, this is going to be a good one. And boy, sometimes you time it just right. And this was one of those times where I timed it just right. And that wave come came in and I could just feel it carrying me higher and higher and higher. And as I looked down in front of me, I could see that as this wave is coming up higher, the water in front of it was getting shallower and shallower and shallower. And it got so shallow that I could literally see the sand, you know, in just maybe what was six to eight inches of water, I could see the sand. And from the waves doing this over and over and over again, literally you could walk on that ocean floor and not even leave a footprint because that fine Caribbean sand was just packed so, so firm. What are you chuckling about? Do we possibly know where I'm going with this? I look down and this wave just drives me into the the sand. I hit my head and it pushed my head back, flipped my heels over my head. I thought I broke my neck. I literally felt like it tore my head off. But praise the Lord, it didn't. But oh, did that sand put a nasty, nasty wound right here on the side of my head. Disgusting, nasty wound. I had to fly on airplanes 
commercial flights all the next day. I'd go and you know, you check in at the airline and you have to show them your boarding pass or you show them your driver's license. This is kind of the way that it would work. I'd hand them my driver's license, they'd look at it, and then they'd look up and they'd go, oh. I mean, it's right there on the hairline, you couldn't really put it. I mean, it was like this massive rug burn. Oh, it was just sickening looking. I was talking to Brother James the other day and he said, we went out there and we, we did that again. And he said, all we talked about was you <laughs> and that massive wound on your head. And you know what happened is that wave overwhelmed me. It was more than I could handle. And it almost crushed me. When we speak of being overwhelmed, we generally refer to cares, afflictions, or even business in life. It can happen to us suddenly, like with Job. I sure appreciate what Job went through, not only just the massive, I mean, just the, the, the affliction that he went through and the suffering of what happened in general, but the fact that one after another after another, all happened on the same day. Wow. I mean, sometimes we can have some pretty rough troubles and trials, but if just one comes at us this week and then another one in a few days or another one next month, it's like, okay, we can handle them. But sometimes that's not the way our troubles and trials and our cares and our business happen. They come all at once and we feel overwhelmed. Sometimes these overwhelming trials, they sneak up on us gradually, and we don't even realize it's happening. Here a couple of winters ago, excuse me, it was a couple of summers ago, I should definitely remember that fact, a couple of summers ago, our air conditioning unit went out, and it was hot, hotter than it was yesterday, hotter than what it's going to be today. It was an extremely hot time. And all of a sudden, the air conditioner quit working, and we smelled just a little bit of smell of electrical smoke up in the house. I thought, oh, great. So I went outside, went around to the crawl space, opened up the little half door, and looked in, and lo and behold, my entire crawl space is full of water. And I thought, oh no, the water got up so high that it got to the electrical components of the air handler and it totally just fried those electrical components. Now, what happened is there was a sediment filter, just a little filter where that water would go in and the plastic on that for whatever, whether it be a defect or whether maybe perhaps the winter before it got froze and expanded, but bottom line is water was spraying out of that. But you think it was just spraying out of there. This happened over literally about a month's time. Enough water coming out at a very slow pace to where never noticed it, never noticed any drop in water pressure. Everything seemed fine, but lo and behold, my troubles were sneaking up on me and at that particular day, they overwhelmed me. Jesus had taught John a number of things about how to handle being overwhelmed. 
We won't take the time here this morning, but you could go to one chapter in the book of John, chapter number 6, and you'd see three distinct things that John learned from Jesus on how to handle being overwhelmed. I think about the time in John 6 when the disciples were overwhelmed with the responsibility of feeding the multitude. I mean, thousands and thousands of people, and Jesus said we need to feed them. The disciples, John including, you know, in modern days, they'd say, are you crazy, Lord? That would be disrespectful, but what they were saying was, you, you gotta be kidding. We don't have enough, we don't even have enough money to go buy the food that they need, and all we have here is just five loaves and a couple fishes. You know how Jesus responded to that? He said, sit down. Sit down. I got this covered. John learned how to deal with being overwhelmed with the necessities of life by the way that Jesus taught him. Just, hey, sit down. It's okay. I got this. Later on in the chapter, the disciples, we find them rowing in a storm, trying desperately to get to the other side. The wind's contrary. They row three times. They go forward a few feet. The wind blows them back six feet. They row and they row. They get, they make about five feet in advance. The wind comes up and knocks them back 15 feet. They're not getting anywhere for all of their efforts. Sound like life, anyone? And what does Jesus do? He walks out on the water and he says, it is I, be not afraid. The Bible says when they willingly received him into the ship, they were immediately, they arrived on the other side. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, keep Jesus in the boat with you. You'll get where you need to go when you need to be there. Just make sure that you keep Jesus there. John learned that about being overwhelmed. When the disciples were overwhelmed with Christ's teaching, when He said to them, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, ye have no life in you. Now that sounds kind of crazy. It's like, drink His blood? Eat His flesh? And all the disciples are overwhelmed with what Jesus is teaching them. Why? Because they didn't understand what He was saying. What did Jesus say? He said that it is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. Jesus used that to teach them when you're overwhelmed because you don't understand what God's saying, the Lord says you need to trust the Holy Spirit. God's not trying to play a trick on you. He's trying to teach you something, and this is the only way that you can really get it is if you have to actually think about it. Have you ever noticed that God's textbook for life, that His principles... I mean, he's got some very plain and simple commandments, but much of life is lived outside of those commandments. There are principles and precepts, and God has set up his word, to be quite honest with you, the only people that really will learn the Bible and learn how to live according to the Bible are the people that want to learn the word of God. Jesus wasn't being cruel when he said about all of the Pharisees, he said, I'm I'm not speaking to them plainly. I'm speaking to them in parables. Lest seeing with their eyes, lest they, they should see and be converted. He, he, it wasn't, he wasn't saying that he didn't want them to be converted. He was simply saying that only the people that really truly wanted God were the people that would see. It wasn't a trick. God's not playing the same trick on you here today. 
He may be appearing to hide himself or hide his word from you. But what he's wanting is he's wanting people that love him and want his glory and honor that would seek and would search. Jeremiah 33.3, the Lord says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He also said through Jeremiah, he said, Search for me. He said, When you search for me with all of your heart, the Lord says, You're going to find me. You know, we live in a day and age when people just don't seem to be searching for God. I'm reading a wonderful autobiography, enjoying it immensely. In just a few days, I think I'm about 20 chapters into it. It's the autobiography of Charles Finney. He was a great revival preacher back in the 1800s and how that God not only saved him, but God used him. And he was he was a very intelligent man, but he was a simple man, not highly educated. But when he got it, he got it. When he got saved and the Holy Spirit came into him, he had a trust in the Word of God and he had a trust in the Holy Spirit that he wasn't looking at what anybody or everybody else was doing. He was seeking God in his life. You know, many of the people that he led to Christ... It was people that were already searching and seeking. He'd tell stories about how that they would be about their business there in the town that he was living in. And as he'd walk into a place of business, he would walk up to the merchant and the customer and they would already be talking about spiritual things. They'd already be talking about heaven and hell and salvation and redemption and they'd already have that in their mind and they'd be searching and There were times when Brother Finney would just start talking to them and point them toward the simplicity of Jesus Christ and all of their questions and all of their intellectual wandering or wonderings, I should say, would be answered by the Scripture and they'd get just wonderfully born again and their life would be changed. But it was a time where it was common among the people to be searching and seeking for Bible truth and for God. You know, this book here was, you know, even lost people, even the, even the tavern owners, even though they had rejected God, it was part of their culture. They just knew there was the fear of God that was already there in that culture. The reason being is because there was still the Word of God. I wish that we had that going on in America today. I wish that People were more interested in spiritual things. But certainly here, God's people, people that are saved, people that are Christians that say, I'm on my way to heaven, certainly we should have that kind of an interest in spiritual things, should we not? Jesus taught them that it's God's Spirit that quickens and gives understandings. The Gospels are filled with accounts of the disciples being overwhelmed and Jesus consequently rebuking them Not for the feeling of being overwhelmed, but rebuking them for their lack of faith. How often, brothers and sisters, do we feel overwhelmed? Because really down deep, we're just not trusting God the way that we ought to trust Him. I'm going to give you five quick things, just things to consider. Just some things that I've observed and learned that have scriptural principles and values. But I'm going to go quickly through these things, Lord willing, some things for you to think about on how to handle life 
if you're overwhelmed. Five simple things. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You for the Word of God. Thank You, Lord, for Your people. Thank You for John and, Lord, writing this uh, wonderful verse. Lord, just no way that he could even imagine the things that could be written of. No way that we could imagine as well. And I pray that our lives would be filled with that same type of overwhelming feeling when we think about all that You've done for us. God, You've been so good. Lord Jesus, You've been such a wonderful Savior. We've got so many things to thank You for. Bless these next few minutes that we have. In Jesus' name, Amen. Five things to consider. Number one, deal with it now. Deal with it now. Life can be overwhelming and sometimes things just pile up and I would just say to you as a word of advice, learn how to make it a habit, a part of your life to just when you see little things that need to be done, just do them and do them right now. There's so many things that just wouldn't take much time, but we let them go and they all pile up until we get paralyzed and we don't know where to start. When there's something right in front of you, just do it. I started doing this. I don't do it faithfully uh, and consistently, but more so than I ever have. Whenever I get done with a dish or a glass or something, uh, in the past, I'd always just stick it in the sink or leave it there on the counter. Let my wife deal with it. You know something that I learned? Some of you, 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 you husbands are like, no, you're not going there. I learned that it literally takes me five seconds to rinse it out and just go ahead and stick it in the dishwasher. And I thought, you know what, that is no problem, that's no hassle to me, but if I learn to do that, you know what I'm doing? I'm helping, I'm helping prevent my wife from feeling overwhelmed. And trust me, that helps me not feel, when she's not overwhelmed, I'm not overwhelmed. Just a little thing. Uh, used to be if there's just, you know, a little piece of paper that, you know, a piece of trash that, oh, I'll, I'll get that later or, you know, we'll do that when we do the floors, when we vacuum, when we sweep or whatever. And I learned that, you know what, if I'll just bend down and pick it up and stick it in the garbage can, then I don't have to worry about it anymore. Just little teeny tiny things like this that if we'll just start do it and do it now, I hate junk mail, and most of my mail is junk mail. And nowadays you have to be so careful about, you know, putting your mail in the garbage because people out there will try to steal your identity, and if they have your name and your address and some information off of your junk mail, they can actually, I guess the bad people, they know how to use that to cause you some hassle in your life and try to get your money or to steal your identity, or whatever. So you have to be careful with that. So junk mail becomes even more annoying because you have to deal with it. You either have to shred it, or you have to make sure that you block that out so that people can't steal your identity. And you know what? That was something that... <laughs> this is so embarrassing. I would um, I would let that junk junk mail pile up so big that our little tiny shredder wouldn't handle it and literally, it's like, this will take me forever. And so I heard about, um, about a bank over on, um, on Turnersburg Highway that had one of these shredding mobile units came in and did free shredding for the day. And I thought, yes, that's me. 
Do you know that I literally, the whole back end of our expedition, I loaded up with bags and boxes that I had piled, I took out to the shed, had piled up, I'd put in, in the attic, and all of that junk mail, I took it, and uh, they were able to get rid of it. And I made a vow, I said, God, I'm not going to let that pile up again. And so I started just as it comes in. Sometimes I'll maybe not have time, have two days worth, but I found that it doesn't nag at me if I just deal with it now. I can take 30 seconds or two minutes now, or I can have a whole day project that's always nagging at me. And even though my life may not be so bad, I feel overwhelmed because all... Why is everybody smiling? Maybe you can relate to what I'm saying. So, deal with it now. Number two, manage life one bite at a time. Some motivational speaker said this, how do you eat an elephant? Well, you eat it one bite at a time, right? You don't get overwhelmed with the whole elephant, you just eat one bite. You know what our problem is today? We have a culture, a generation that cannot cope with delayed gratification. This is a horrible, horrible thing because life, especially the Christian life, is all about delayed gratification. In our Sunday school class this morning, we saw how that sometimes we think that, well, if I do the right thing, then God's going to bless me and reward me. And then nothing happens, just life goes on and we think, well, that must not have worked. But the reality of it is, is it will, God will always bless us in His timing. And there are some blessings that God says, you know what? I'm just going to save them for the judgment seat of Christ because that's when it's going to be even better for you. And we have a hard time with accepting delayed gratification. Why do you think that the Christian church in America has went so wishy-washy, watered-down, liberal, contemporary. Why do you think they've turned it into a show in order to draw a crowd? Because the ministers or the leaders, they want a big crowd and they want it now, and they're not willing to do it the scriptural way of just preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God and letting the chips fall where they may and then just loving people with Christian love. That works But it takes time. And we live in a culture that does not tolerate delayed gratification. We need to learn it if we're going to live life without being constantly overwhelmed. Matthew 6, verse 34, Jesus said, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Take it, one bite at a time, take it one day at a time. Hey, we cannot control what's going to happen tomorrow. We cannot undo what has happened yesterday. So what should we do? Just live our life and take advantage of the 24 hours. It's the same 24 hours that that I have, that you have. We all have to manage that, and we ought to be good stewards of that time. If we're living out into the future and all we can think about is the gratification and the gratification 
then we're always going to be overwhelmed. We're always going to be discontent. We're always going to be thinking about that reward. But what we need to do is just start enjoying the process and just live your life. Listen, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Hey, it's a steak, not a project. Chew it. Savor it. I mean, listen, you you put a big old ribeye in my plate. Listen, I am not going to be looking at that as a project. Now, I've eaten a big steak before, and when I got done, I will say, ha ha, I conquered it. But trust me, I am enjoying every single bite. And I'm chewing, especially when it's tender. Especially when it's cooked just right, just the way that I like it. And has just the right seasoning on it. Man, my mouth is watering right now. How about yours? Sorry, I have 47 more points. No, just kidding. Just kidding. If you're overwhelmed, just... Just take it a bite at a time and, and just enjoy the process. Number three, be responsible with your responsibilities. There are many people who suffer from stress that are highly responsible people. They are driven. They are perfectionists. They are workaholics. They are miserable and often unhealthy. I'm not talking about being driven in a right way. We need to be responsible. But you know that the medical profession estimates that 90% of all doctor visits are directly or indirectly caused by stress. Why are we so unhealthy? Why? Because we are not being responsible with our responsibilities. We're getting overwhelmed. And we're in the rat race and we're on that cage just going in circles and we're not getting anywhere thinking that the more that we toil and the more that we row, then maybe we'll get to the shore no matter how hard the wind blows. And what we need to do is just get Jesus in the ship with us and just, hey, row, but don't stress, don't fret, don't worry. Let me say this to you. It's okay to put your, if, if you're this type, now some of you, let me give you a disclaimer, you shouldn't even be listening to me right now at all. But those of you that are highly stressed, overachiever type people, it's okay for you to put your burden down for a while. You take a glass of water, you know, you can take a glass of water that's half full, and you can hold it out in front of you with your arms stretched, and, you know, you can hold that out there for a few minutes, and after a few minutes, it'll start to get heavy. You can hold that out for about an hour, and it'll start feeling really, really heavy. You hold that glass of water for a day. You know what? You may require surgery. <laughs> but the weight of the water hasn't changed. You take that same glass of water, you just set it down every now and then, you can pick that up and you can hold it for most of the day, but there needs to come a time where you at least set it down and take a little bit of break for it. You don't have to feel guilty for taking a break from your responsibilities. Keyword, occasionally. Occasionally. 
Now, sadly, that's not the problem that many people who feel overwhelmed with in life, what they have to struggle with. Some people, their only way of dealing with the overwhelming feeling of life is I have to get away from it all the time. I heard a World War II veteran from that generation. He said, you know what? Today's, and I think he was talking about not just the millennials, but what's the, what's the generation before millennials? X? Y? Baby boomer? Maybe, maybe he was talking about the baby boomers. And he said, you know what? He said, I've never seen a generation that had to take more vacations than the generation that's alive today. They can't cope with life. Now, I know some of you are thinking I'm picking on Jonathan back there, but I'm not. I love him. He's a good guy. (laughs) We might as well just say the obvious. Get it out of the way here. But, you know, seriously, there's nothing wrong with taking a break occasionally. But you know what? If we have to constantly be taking a vacation from our life and that's the only way that we can cope, then maybe we need to step back and figure out how God wants us to manage our life responsibly and being responsible about our responsibilities. Which brings me to point number four. And that is organize, prioritize, and simplify. You know, you don't have to live your life the way that everybody else lives it. You don't have to be like everybody else. Hey, look around. It's not working for them. And we need to be wise enough to say, you know what, this whole culture is messed up and it's a rat race and we've got all kinds of activity. People are going to and fro. All of this activity is going on, but everybody is quite miserable and they all feel empty. They all feel overwhelmed. Maybe we need to step back and say, maybe we shouldn't be living our life according to the rule of our culture. Maybe God's got a better way for us. Maybe we need to learn how to make a schedule or make a list. I I can't tell you how many times that I've felt overwhelmed by all the projects that needed to be done, and it's helped me by just sitting down and making up a list. Okay, I felt like I had 400 things to do, but in reality, it's only 127 which is overwhelming, but at least I have done some accounting and I know what needs to be done and I know which one to start with. And at least I can start feeling like I'm checking a few things off when I've got the time and at least I'm moving forward and I don't have to feel overwhelmed. Someone said this. It's a pretty good quote. They said, the road to hell is paved with kudzu. You have to think about that. I don't remember what year it was, but they brought the kudzu vine over from Japan because it was supposed to solve all of our problems. It was something that we could feed to the cattle. And because it was so prolific, there is nothing that eats it. It has no enemies. I mean, insects, blight, disease, nothing touches it. It's that prolific, and since we the cattle can eat it, and because it will control erosion, this is the miracle cure for all of our agricultural problems. 
only to find out that what it did is it just kept growing and it would literally take over. Someone said years ago that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. But that's yesterday. That's in the past. Today, the road to hell in America is paid with kudzu. Because we think that we have this gadget, or we have this program, or we have this method. We have all of these things that are supposed to make our life better. But all it's done is turned into kudzu. And we can't even see the ground. And we can't get rid of it. Listen, folks, we've got to learn how to organize, prioritize, and simplify. Hey, let me give you just, um, let me give you a word of advice, parents. Those of you that have children, you have pressure in culture today that you have to take them to all of these classes and they have to, they have to play every single sport that comes along. They have to go to this group and to this club and this and that and this and that. And so parents today are frazzled because all they do is take their kids to this event and that event and this event. Hey, you may not like what I have to say, but I got news for you. The you, Listen, you could do something better with your kids. I mean, think about the hours that you spend taking them to a sport, watching them play that sport, in a week's time, you may spend anywhere from five to six hours a week, maybe more than that between practice and so forth. You may spend 10, 12, 15 hours a week so that your child can have recreation. And you know what? You could probably, you could probably replace that with about 45 minutes a week of just playing catch with your son out in the front yard. And that would actually be more meaningful, and that would be something that would matter more to them as they grow older, that meaningful time that I was actually playing with my dad, rather than my dad watching me play. (gasps) Preacher, that sounds so revolutionary. Hey, I'm just trying to help you. I'm just trying to help you. You feel overwhelmed. Maybe you should listen. Maybe, maybe I got something that to say that would be a tremendous help. And maybe if you could start managing your life rather than your life managing you, maybe then you could give God His proper place. And maybe then, and only then, would someone be able to ask you the question, what does Jesus mean to you? And you'd be able to say, oh my goodness. He's so wonderful. He means everything to me. He means so much that they couldn't even, the world couldn't even contain the books if I was able to adequately describe everything that He's done for me. But you can't write that because you don't have time in your life for Jesus. And the way that you're going, you never will until you start organizing, prioritizing, and simplifying. Listen, you could probably just play a board game at the table and it'd be more meaningful to you than all of the trips to Disney World, Six Flags, Carowinds, and all of the above. And let me say this to you as well, and I'm just trying to help. Parents, if you indulge your children with everything that the world has to offer, How are they going to manage life? 
when they go in and then they get married, what if they don't have the means that you have? And then all of a sudden they feel their whole adult life that they're a victim because they can't live in the fantasy land that you raised them in. Folks, we need to get a handle on this. It's been a burden of my heart because I see God's people, people that want to serve God, that want to be close to God, but we just can't seem to find a way to get there. Why? Because we haven't learned how to manage our life. Identify and eliminate time wasters and beware of technology. I'll get to my last point. Number five, be willing and persistent to change. It's not easy to change because if you make biblical changes in your life, you're swimming upstream in a very, very strong current. But you've got to be willing. I read about a man in Michigan that they called the Rolaids robber. He finally got caught, but he had this one... You say, was he stealing Rolaids? No, he would go into these convenience stores and he'd rob them. And while he was there, he would ask the clerk as he's holding them up with the gun, hand me those Rolaids. Why? Because he had ulcers and he had an upset stomach. And so he's constantly having to chuck these Rolaids. You know what? If he would have just went and got a job and quit you know, robbing stores, he wouldn't have had all that stress. The only way he got relief from his stress was they had to stick him in jail for about 10 years. We don't want that, do we? And sometimes we just think, we, we just think, you know what? I'm just going to keep living my life this way and I'll just keep chucking Rolaids. You know what? You probably wouldn't need it if you just be willing, be willing and persistent to make changes. Listen, if you're an underachiever, you know what you ought to do? You ought to get some discipline in your life. Stop killing yourself with food and an unhealthy lifestyle. I'm overwhelmed because I don't have enough energy to do all the things that I need to do. Well, you know what? Well, when you, when you chuck down nothing but fried foods and you get no exercise, then you have no energy and then you blame it on the Lord. It's like Proverbs 18, verse number 9 says, He that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. And then the next proverb says, uh, chapter 19, and verse 3 says, The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Listen, I'm not, I understand that bodily exercise profiteth little, but we live in a time period where we don't get the work that we need to get. But we have restaurants and all of the restaurant foods. Listen, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to rain on your parade. Honest, I'm trying to help you. It's like if we would just start managing our life and saying, you know what? I need to watch. I need to watch what I'm eating. I need to make sure that I'm getting some exercise, not so that I can be sexy. Can I say that? I said it. I, not not so that not for that reason, but so that I can be healthy and so that I can spend quality time raising my kids, do stuff with them, actually be able to enjoy playing ball with my kids, actually enjoy 
going to, I mean, having some mental energy and some physical energy to go out soul winning. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful to have that kind of life where you just got all this energy? It's like, I need something to do. I'll just serve God. I wonder, I wonder how at the root of some of our spiritual failures, we would find our lifestyle has just run amok by the culture. And maybe we need to just start making some choices. You cannot make foolish choices and expect God to bail you out at the end. Listen, oh, you know what? I, my, my grandparents, they ate biscuits and gravy and bacon. I like bacon. I'm not preaching against it. But, you know, when we eat all of that greasy, fried stuff day in and day out, and day in and day out, and we think, well, my grandparents did, but yeah, but, you know, who's working on the farm? We've got tractors and people aren't working like they used to. And so we have cholesterol problems. It would probably, we'd probably all be just shocked if I asked you to raise your hand if you're on blood pressure medicine. Please don't. Half the people I know are on blood pressure medicine. And blood thinners and cholesterol medicine and so forth. And then who knows what kind, what that medicine is doing to us and through the back door and making us unhealthy. And so we just live that life thinking I'm getting away with it. And what happens is we say, well, this food makes me happy, and so I want to be happy. Well, you're not going to be happy spending that last ten years of your life in the nursing home. Wow, preacher, you're this is sobering stuff. Well, listen, I, I you're looking at a man that has the same struggles. And have learned the same lesson. I told my wife this morning, isn't it sad that we take so long in life to figure it out? And then we look back, it's like, man, I wish I would have figured this out a long, long time ago. Maybe I can help you figure it out a little bit quicker and a little bit sooner. If you're in a high-stress, responsible, overachiever type if you're one of these type of people, learn when and how to let it go. You're never going to feel like you have everything done that needs to be done. You will never feel like you've created a fail-safe, secure environment. If you ever do, then beware. Jesus said in Luke 12:19, "...and I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, drink, and be merry." Listen, we're never going to get to that point where we just feel like that everything is exactly the way that we want it to be. And so most of life is just simply striving and struggling and keep living for God and make wise choices. In conclusion, perhaps our biggest problem is not being overwhelmed, but rather it's the things that we're overwhelmed by. John was not overwhelmed with life. He was overwhelmed with all that Jesus had done. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Maybe we need to start being more overwhelmed with Jesus Christ and what He's done for us 
and learn how to live life with Him at the very center. Our hymn of the, the, our featured hymn right now, All That Thrills My Soul is Jesus. And that third, I believe it's the third verse, it says, Every need His hand supplying, every good in Him I see, on His strength divine relying, He is all and all to me. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. We need to get our focus back on Him. You don't have to be overwhelmed with life. We need to get overwhelmed with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You, Lord, for the Word of God. I pray that You'd take the things that we've looked at here this morning. I pray that You'd help us to take them to heart, to put them into practice in our life. God, I pray that You'd help us to learn our how to live our life in a biblical manner, not according to our culture, not according to the stress farm that we're being raised in, but rather, Lord, help us to live each and every day serving, toiling, laboring for You, but Lord, leaving it in Your hands. I pray, Father, for anyone here this morning that needs to make a life adjustment, a schedule adjustment, Lord, regardless what that adjustment is, I pray, God, that You'd help them to do so. I pray, Father, that as Your people, that we would be living the life as good stewards, stewards of our time, stewards of our resources, stewards of the body that is Your temple. Help us, Father, to be faithful to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remain seated, heads bowed and eyes closed. So pianist plays, if you'd like to come forward and talk to the Lord about something that God spoke to your heart about, something that you need to make a change or maybe need to make a commitment, something that will help you live your life to where you're not constantly overwhelmed with life. You can't keep doing the same old thing and expect a different result. At some point, we have to step back and say, hey, maybe, maybe it's not the world that I'm living in. Maybe it's me and the decisions that I'm making.